Blog Talk Radio. To say you gotta know somebody, or know somebody, to give somewhere these days. To say you gotta know somebody, or know somebody, to jump in. Welcome to Word of Mouth Media Book Club, where we will spend the next hour discussing... Looks like I got the wrong intro there, so we will uh, give that a stop and... (laughs) Hang on just one second. This is why it's Welcome great to, to have the ability to edit the club where we will spend the next hour discussing. There we go. Hopefully I got it stopped that time. Okay, sorry for that uh, intro uh, uh, flub up there. Today is Monday, June 7th, and this is Chickie Fitzgerald with Solutions Live, and we have a special call today for the Executive Girlfriends Group, and it is our Egg Fit Call. And since we've got summer coming up on us uh, very, very quickly, my kids get out of school on Friday, uh, I am starting to look at my swimsuit and starting to look at myself and realize I should have had this call months ago. Uh, our special guest today is Brett Blumenthal. Brett, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Now, Brett, um, you have a company called Sheer Balance. Why don't we start out by talking about your personal background before we dive into the book? Sure. Um, I founded Sheer Balance in 2007 when I realized a lot of my friends and colleagues um, in the corporate world, as well as not in the corporate world, um, struggled with finding everyday health and balance in their lives because they had so much going on that they just didn't have the time and energy to focus on it. And so I created Sheer Balance to really help um, simplify healthy living for people. And um, we take a holistic approach. We look at fitness, nutrition, mental well-being, as well as um, we call it environmental health, but it's basically a lot of it's eco-living. How are you living in your environment and how the environment that you live in is impacting your health? So, for instance, um, you know, is there a lot of dust in your home causing, you know, potential allergies and stuff like that? So it's a very holistic approach, and uh, it's been a great, great experience. We have people who are um, really, really long-term, I should say, um, fans, and uh, we have an interactive community, and it's been great. And what did you do before you founded the company? Um, you know, my background is pretty windy. Uh, my intro <laughs> into wellness, my, it's not your typical background. Um, my intro to wellness actually started when I was a freshman in college when I taught aerobics. And um, I taught, I would say, for a better part, about 10 to 15 years. And um, I did it as obviously a side thing, but I really just was passionate about helping individuals, you know, be their best through healthy living. And uh, But my true background is architecture. Oh, <laughs> and really? I also, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's archit- I'm a registered architect in New York. And um, I'm also, I have an MBA, and when I went back for my MBA, I focused in spa and wellness management and development, and it was specifically to start a career geared more towards wellness, and so that's mm-hmm. how it all kind of started to come back to sheer balance. <laughs> wow, wow. So, so where did the entrepreneurial side of things come from? You know, um, I was in management consulting for about seven to ten years, and I think that when you're in consulting, it's a very entrepreneurial environment, and um, you you know you kind of own a project, you run with it, you lead it, um, you create, you have to have a vision to figure out how to solve your client's problems, um, and so that was one thing. But then also, I have a husband who is we like to call him a serial entrepreneur, so I think that he rubbed off on me. <laughs> well, that happens. Uh, I'm actually the serial entrepreneur of the family, and my husband uh, has to try hard not to have it rub off on him. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Well, let's uh, let's talk about uh, what got you to the place that you actually wanted to write a book, because you know, of all entrepreneurial ventures, writing a book is probably one of the uh, 
the least understood ventures that you can possibly step off the edge of the earth to do. And I've written uh, four different books, and, and while they were very focused at, at my industry, and so I, I had a, a very defined audience and you know didn't have to worry about selling millions. I was concerned about se- selling hundreds uh, because they were priced appropriately to where I didn't have to worry about that. But I had a lot of misconceptions when I wrote my first book and, and negotiating my deal and, and figuring out uh, you know who the audience was going to be and how we were actually going to market it and, and all the way down to when I decided to self-publish later thinking, oh, well, this is, this is easy. Anybody can do this. Uh, you know, And I found out it wasn't as easy as I thought. So what was your inspiration for actually writing your book? You know, I think um, it was definitely a learning curve for me, too, because I think often, you know, you have this vision of creating something or doing something, and I'm a doer. I'm like, I have a, I set a goal, and then I make sure it happens. So um, I, I can totally appreciate what you just said. And for me, when I start, I mean, Sheer Bounce started sort of as a side business, and I ended up uh, doing it full-time a little over a year ago. And when I did that, I actually had to think about the revenue model. And I had no mm-hmm. revenue model at the beginning. <laughs> I was purely, purely doing it as like a fun thing to do. And so in thinking through the revenue model, I wanted to start developing products and services that um, would obviously bring in some money. And one of the ideas was a book. I have several book ideas, but I felt that um, a book on eating healthy would be sort of a quick hit for people because it's a pain point for so many. Um, I I really wanted to write a book that was quite different, but I knew that the market would probably be much smaller. And so everyone seems to struggle with their weight or want to go on a diet. And so I felt that this was a surefire way to get people interested in a product and test the market. And so I really wanted to simplify healthy eating, once again, back to our mission to simplify things, um, into something that was just very basic, all based on facts, not fads, and really help people realize that dieting, which so many people think they should be doing, is actually not the solution. And so, <laughs> Amen to that one. <laughs> yes, and so that's how Get Real, um, Get Real and Stop Dieting, and um, that's how it kind of came to fruition, and I self-published because of a, you know some of what you were just talking about. It's a very difficult um, industry, the publishing world. And yeah, I was going to say that the printing and layout and and you know getting the book actually physically in print is actually the easy part. It's the distribution that is yeah. so very hard. Very very hard. And it was it became somewhat of a, a full time job for the last six months. I've kind of started backing off of it because. I really want to focus on other things and other the services that I really believe are going to be most most of value to um, a lot of you know our our fans and and corporate clients and so forth. Right. So, um, but yeah, I mean, distribution and marketing is a full time job, and unless you have a publisher behind you, it can be very challenging. Well, let's talk about you know who is who is the perfect audience for this book i mean i i shared with my executive girl, girlfriends group members that you know i'm this recovering uh you know yo-yo dieter and have have been up and down and up and down and unfortunately more more up than than i would like to be uh really since uh, a little bit over 10 years ago when i started uh doing fertility treatments to try to get uh pregnant with my daughter and, you know, I, I was actually overweight when I got pregnant because I had already gained 25 pounds on uh, infertility drugs. And so, you know, the last 10 years of my life has been, you know, just this horrible battle with, with, uh, with eating and exercise, I'll have to say. It doesn't, it doesn't all fall into the eating category. And, uh, you know, I've spent the last couple of months uh, really trying to get back on track. In fact, uh, one of our, our callers today that I hope will have some questions later uh, is my walking buddy. And she's actually over in Orlando, and I live in Tampa, and we walk by phone every morning. So uh, we missed this morning. But, uh, you know, we're, we're 
there to keep each other on track. So, you know, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, that side of things. And I know you, this book talks primarily about the dieting side, but I hope you can give us some, some insights about the, uh, the physical aspects uh, also of keeping fit. Sure. I mean, I think it's sort of similar to, I mean, the whole uh, eating side of it as well. It's, you can't expect everything from yourself at once. And um, I think that a lot of people assume that if they exercise, it means they have to go to the gym or it means that they have to, you know, go every day of the week or it means that it has to be not fun. (laughs) And I think that the real key is to find things that you enjoy that will not make you think that you're necessarily um, going through something you're not going to enjoy or have fun with. And so, you know, for me, I tell a lot of people, you know, to find an activity that you're passionate of. Um, You know, if, if in the winter you're a big... You're a big winter person, you know, maybe it's skiing, maybe it's cross-country skiing, maybe it's ice skating. But basically, the idea is that you should just move because, in, in, in short, the major problem is a sedentary lifestyle. It's not right. necessarily that we don't exercise. Um, when you look at Europeans and you look at other cultures that don't rely as heavily on vehicles but, you know, use public transportation and walk places and so forth and so on, they're generally fitter because they're just naturally more active. Um, And I don't know if you've ever heard of The Blue Zones, but um, it's a book on uh, these different cultures that have basically maintained this extremely high life expectancy or long life expectancy. And there are nine um, sort of rules, if you will, of each of these cultures that seem to be consistent. And one of them is that they just are naturally active. And it doesn't mean that they're in the gym, but it means that, you know, they walk places, they don't rely on cars as much. Um, It's part of their normal everyday um, job may, may actually involve, like farming, for instance, may involve labor. But it's just being mindful to to get moving and get your butt out of your chair and off your couch. <laughs> well, one <laughs> you know? of the things I love about your approach is the whole simplicity factor and and the way, <clears throat> excuse me, the way you structured your book is it's really broken down into two parts of the get real principles of which there are five and then the get real toolkit. And and I would really like to step through these because there's so much meat in your book and I I do hope that people will uh, go ahead and, and get your book because I think it, you know, listening is one thing and it can, you know, get you off the dime and, and can help you get that momentum. But really the education that you provide in this book is just superb. And I'm also a real sucker for great layout. And I, I didn't know that you had self-published, but you did a superb job on laying this oh, uh, so book much. out. And, and the visual appeal of the book um, and, again, the simplicity of the presentation of information. And you're presenting a lot of complicated inf- – I mean, well, complicated, but yet you've simplified it. But, uh, again, I, I think that uh, if we could just start at the very beginning. So, uh, again, the first part of the book is about the get real principles. So let's talk about the first one. Keep it sure. whole, keep it natural, keep it simple. Exactly. I think that's the most important one, and that's obviously why it's first. I think if you actually were to follow that rule alone, um, you would probably see a dramatic change in how you feel, um, your energy levels, and just your overall health. Because keep it whole, keep it natural, keep it simple, gets to the heart of weeding out those foods that are processed, that have a lot of chemicals or additives or um, extra sugars in them, so basically relying more on whole food sources um, instead of packaged foods. And I know this can definitely be challenging for a lot of people, but I think that they assume that that means they have to have a full-cooked meal every time they eat. And you don't Mm -hmm. need to have a full-cooked meal to eat whole foods. Um, You can have an apple and a handful of almonds, and that's a well-balanced, highly nutritious snack that's really going to satisfy you and be completely whole, as opposed to a granola bar. Um, And it's cheaper, (laughs) if you think about, if you care about cost. So 
the the idea behind it is that there's been lots of evidence and research that the more we eat that's processed foods, um, fried foods sort of fall under that too. The more you start to change the natural state of the food, the more you end up um, doing harm to your body and basically exposing it to higher risk for disease um, right. and, and other issues. And that's sort of the whole premise behind why you should try to keep it whole, natural, and simple. Well, you talked a little bit about the the expense, and, and I think that that's a really, really important point because as I look at what my weight has done uh, over the last couple of years, which have been really, really financially challenging you know, as, as an entrepreneur, um, and I watched my husband go, and I'm very, very fortunate because my husband does the grocery shopping. So um, <laughs> when, I, when I talk about this, I talk about the choices he makes because, uh, you know, he's in that position. But, you know, we used to shop at Publix, which here in Florida is, is you know, kind of the Kroger or Albertsons uh, brand. Uh, so it's, it's the mainstream grocery store. Well, we moved from shopping there to shopping at Aldi. Uh, and I don't know if you have Aldi where you live, but it, it's uh, very I much a... Yeah, self-service kind of store looks a little bit like the warehouse grocery stores, but not quite so big. Um, and and the portions aren't like the super enormous portions like you get at Sam's or BJ's. Um, but what ended up happening is because he was buying uh, based on saving money, um, we started eating a lot of things that weren't good for us. And, and I mean, I, I knew it, but because he was controlling the grocery shopping, it made it really, really tough. You know, every Friday night we used to have steak, and, you know, we would have good steaks and, you know, lean steaks and, and actually fairly small, uh, usually a small filet. And we went from that to having sloppy joes. And, I mean, like, you couldn't find a worse food. <laughs> I right. think then sloppy joes, but we've got you know kids who are ten and twelve. So, um, you know, in, in order to kind of not break the bank, but you know, still buy right, um, you know, the natural piece of that, uh, of if you take it to the extreme and actually you know buy things at you know a natural or a whole foods store, uh, you know, type of, of store it gets really expensive really fast. So do you have any recommendations on that front of, of how to still keep it whole, keep it natural, and keep it simple? Yeah, you know, I mean, I know this is definitely an issue, and it's funny. There, I don't know if you've ever watched Food, Inc., um, but there's a family that's interviewed in the movie. It's a documentary on um, basically a lot of the premises that um, Michael Pollan talks about and uh, – sort of our food industry and sort of why America's kind of gotten into this situation they are health-wise and weight-wise. Um, and so the interesting thing is that in this in this movie they have this family that they interview who claims they, they, they video them going to some local fast food restaurant, um, spending $12 for the family of four, Mm-hmm. Um, ordering, I think it was like five cheeseburgers, two chicken, fried chicken sandwiches, and like three large sodas. And, um, you know, they claim, and they, then they go to the grocery store, and they're like, oh, we can't eat here because, you know, an apple is a dollar or whatever the situation right. was. And, um, you know, I... I it got under my skin because I, I hear this all the time. And I do know that there are issues from when you combine time and cost. But when you look at, um, if, for instance, my husband and I, we cook as much as possible, like three or four nights a week. And then I eat my lunches at home every week. And, he, and I have my breakfast at home every week. And when I did the math, and we buy all organic. So, I mean, mm-hmm. our cost is definitely higher than you would find, you know, if you were to not buy organic, um, probably almost twice as much. Our cost was relatively the same as if you had spent the $3 per person, if you think about $12 for four people, $3 per person for every meal. Our costs were not that far off. And so I think what it takes is a shift in thinking. Up front, it might seem like it's less because $12 for a meal definitely sounds a lot less than $70 for 
five meals <laughs> because right. 12 is a smaller number than 70. But you need to be, I mean, we look at our grocery list, we say, oh, peppers were really high this, this week. We should find a different vegetable that we can use in our salads or to, you know, cook if we want to cook them. Um, it's going to be cheaper. And I just think that it t- the problem is it takes planning. And I think that it takes a lot of energy to really think through how you're going to save money. The other thing I would say is Costco is a fantastic, and BJ's I think is probably in the same ballpark, are fantastic resources if you have them near you. We save, we end up spending when we buy organic uh, dairy, we buy organic um, eggs there. We save a ton of money as, as compared to if we had shopped in a normal grocery store. And so I think, you know, that's the second thing to consider. The third thing is that it's also portion size. Um, if you really stick with portion sizes that are healthy, you probably aren't going to consume as much money's worth as you would if you didn't. And so, for instance, our chicken, uh, a pound and a half of chicken would probably be about $7. A pound and a half of chicken will be three meals for my husband and I. Right. And so that when you think about that, that's three, that's six meals technically if you break it down per person. And so that's less than a dollar per person for dinner just on the chicken. And so when you start really looking at the math and what you're getting for your dollar, um, dollar for dollar at a grocery store and then actually making them, you know, the meals, then I don't think, I don't necessarily buy the cost issue. The other thing is time. I do understand time is a major factor. What we like to do is on Sundays we make a huge batch of, a few different meals that we really like, um, maybe just one for the week, depending, because there's only two of us. But if you have a family, there's no reason why on a Sunday night you make a big batch of turkey chili or, or veg- vegetarian chili. You make right. a big vegetarian um, whole grain pasta lasagna. You make a, you know, a big batch of grilled or baked chicken. And you have those all week so that you can you know, use them and not have to, re, you know, cook every every night. And mm-hmm. so I think time you can work with as well. It just takes the planning. Well, that's that's really great advice. And, and you know, we have, uh, when, when I go grocery shopping, I think the reason my husband doesn't let me go grocery shopping is I can't remember any prices. And so I don't know <laughs> if I'm getting a good deal or not, and I don't know if peppers are higher this week than they were last right. week. Right. Um, sure. But I do know that it makes a whole lot of sense to shop pretty much on the outside perimeter of the grocery store. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's so where, true. Yeah, that's where most of, of the natural things are. So let's let's move to the next one, which is focus on fiber. Yes. Give us give us some uh, some education about fiber. Sure. I am a huge, huge. I, I, in my workshops, I get people to laugh because I tell people how much I love fiber because I honestly like to go to the bathroom two or three times a day. Uh-huh. And there's real, there's real validity in that. It sounds kind of, I'm sure for some people, it's like, why would she say that in public? But the reality is maintaining regularity is really important to our health. Um, and it also, the fiber offers so many other benefits like um, reducing risk of disease um, because you're absorbing sugar into your bloodstream slower because of the fiber. You're not going to have sugar spikes, which if you have high sugar spikes all the time, that can potentially lead to other health issues such as um, insulin resistance and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, fiber helps facilitate our weight loss and our ma- and maintain our weight because we feel fuller, um, we don't get as hungry as quickly. And so fiber, in my mind, is one of the best, is your best friend. And if you're eating a lot of whole foods and natural and keeping it natural and simple, you're probably getting a lot of fiber in your diet. Um, I tend to have tons of fiber through fruits and vegetables, um, but if you're going to, if you're a cereal and grain type person, then just look for those options that say whole grains. Um, if it's if it says multigrain, you'd be surprised. Multigrain might not be as um, whole grain as whole grain. So you really want to just make sure that whatever the ingredients listed are include 
quote-unquote whole grains. Mm-hmm. Um, and fiber just, I mean, there's really no, there's nothing bad about fiber. The one thing I will caveat is that if you're not getting much fiber now and you want to start getting a lot of fiber, which is basically 20, you should get a minimum of 25 grams a day. I like I like 35 if you can get up to that number, um, which is basically if you're looking at products and you're buying a product, um, you try to aim for an average of two grams per hundred calories, which will get you to your number that you want. Um, but basically, the caveat is if you're not getting a lot today and you're going to start trying to get a lot tomorrow, definitely take your time building up to the fiber intake because if you try to do it all at once you're definitely not going to feel happy (laughs) you're going to have a lot of runniness and things that are going to turn you off from the idea of fiber so you know just build it up a little bit little by little and over a week or two your body will adjust and i i mean when you do have enough fiber in your diet it's phenomenal how much better you feel okay great so let's move on to Get Real Principle number three, which is pack lean proteins into every meal. Sure, yeah. Um, I know for a lot of vegetarians this can be challenging. They they tend to not necessarily have animal-based proteins. But I really believe that if you eat lean protein at every meal, and that can be eggs, um, egg whites, it can even be um, dairy if you don't have lactose problems. It can be t- tofu if you rather soy. Um, or it can even be, if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, quinoa, which is um, it's considered a super grain, but it's actually a seed. Um, and that's a full protein. What you want to do is you want to have lean protein at every snack and meal because it really is important to have the protein in your system to help rejuvenate and renew your body and your cells. Um, People who don't get enough protein surprisingly age faster. They don't have enough um, in their system to help build their muscles and protect their bones. Um, Muscle and bone kind of go together, so if you're weak in the muscles, your bones could be very weak as well. Um, And so the other thing is, is that protein is really important in maintaining weight. You, you um, uh, I guess, process protein very slowly. The most, it's the slowest um, form of food that you process. And so as a result, you're going to not need food as much. You're going to feel fuller longer. Um, plus, believe it or not, when you're digesting food, you're burning more calories than you are if you're not digesting food. So right. the longer you're digesting your food, the more you're burning more calories. <laughs> So there's a lot of benefit to protein, Um, plus it's a really great energy source. A lot of people think that sugar is a great energy source, but sugar is purely a quick response energy source. Protein will have a more drawn-out, longer-duration energy source for you. Now, one of the questions that I have has to do with actually the timing of when you eat. And I know we're going to talk about, um, you know, eat small often and mindfully as, as the fifth principle but if you eat in in the evening and so you're actually digesting when you're sleeping, let's say that you do have a piece of meat or, or chicken uh, at, at that time, does it actually burn more slowly? Uh, you know, is it bad for you to eat uh, protein you, late at night? Well, it's bad technically to eat late at night, period. Um, it's not as healthy to go to bed on a full stomach. You usually don't sleep as well. Um, you, it can cause restlessness. And um, it, it, there, there are several things that don't necessarily have to do with your weight um, that just are not, it's not ideal to eat late. Um, from, a, from a weight perspective, I think that the challenge is that um, the, when you sleep, your body naturally slows down and and burns calories less slowly or less less quickly, so it's a lot slower. And so, in a sense, you're turning your your body off, you know, just like you turn the light the light switch off. And so, because it doesn't need energy to sustain activity and to sustain 
digesting everything it would normally be doing while it's awake, um, and your organs and everything shut off. And so you're not even really digesting your food in, in an effective way. It's just kind of sitting there. And so it can more easily be absorbed into your bloodstream because it's not necessarily being digested. Does that make sense? Got it. Got it. It does make sense. I, you know, I just couldn't figure it out of what, you know, what, what difference did it really make as long as it was digested and, and the body was able to use it. But that makes a lot of sense, Brett. Thanks. So are we ready to go on to enjoy healthy fats or was there anything more that you wanted to talk about lean proteins? No, I think I th- you know you're you're doing a great job covering everything. Um, no, enjoying healthy fats. A lot of people in I want to say when I was in college, which was in the 90s, um, the like the early 90s, people were really into not having fat, and they were on these low-fat, high-carbohydrate diets. And the the myth in not eating fat is that. Um, you need fat, and if you don't eat fat, you're actually doing your body a disservice. It's not going to function properly. You're not going to produce the hormones you need to produce to be um, to be sort of functioning properly. And so as a result, you end up doing yourself a bigger disservice. It's really important to have fat, and if you eat the right fats, it, you can't go wrong. Um, some people even would say back in, you know, I, I tend to – tell people try to achieve a 20 to 30% um, ratio of calories that, that equals fat. So that gets, this is getting a little technical, but a lot of people probably oh, have heard okay. that before. <laughs> 20 to 30% is a good number. Some dietitians and nutritionists will tell you if you're eating the right fat, go hog wild because you're getting so much benefit out of it. Um, you're your healthy fats, your monounsaturated, which are the best, um, plus your uh, omega-3s. And so in your monounsaturated fats, a lot of them include um, nuts and uh, olives and avocados. Uh, canola oil is a monounsaturated fat. And then your omega-3 fats usually come in things like fish. Um, and I know there's a lot of uh, debate about the fish today, especially with all that we're seeing, I'm sure, in the Gulf, but, um, you know, with mercury and PCBs, but um, fish is a great source, flaxseed's a great source. The thing with fish is that the omega-3 quality that you would get from fish is a lot healthier than any other omega-3 source because the fish sort of process what they're calling, um, I think it's DHA, I can't remember mm-hmm. which is which, but there's a certain there's omega three comes in two formats. One is one that's not as processed, and one that is processed. And your flax seeds and your kind of grain side to your omega threes, you're going to get the less processed kind. The fish will convert that omega three to the kind that your body really needs, and so you're getting a much more effective omega three from a fish source than you would from a vegetable source. Um, but that's a lot, that's very technical, and I don't want to lose you guys. The, the key thing you want to remember is that you should consume healthy fats, and so that's high omega-3s and monounsaturated fats. Um, I do want to quickly mention omega-6s because some people probably have heard a lot about that. Omega-6 comes from vegetable sources such as uh, soy um, and your vegetable oils, and although there's nothing wrong with them as, independent sources, the problem in the American diet is that the ratio of omega-6 and omega-3 is really lopsided. We should be having a one-to-one ratio, and the American diet is generally about a six-to-one ratio. And that's when disease starts to creep in, and that's when we start to see some problems that we've been seeing with some of our diets. As a result, I highly recommend instead of having vegetable oil in your salad or vegetable oils in um, in on in your foods, use canola, use olive because they're better sources and they're omega three, not omega six. A lot of processed foods have tons of omega sixes in them. Anything you see with soybean oil or corn oil or vegetable oil all contain omega-6, and so much of our food that's processed has those ingredients in it. 
they don't usually make a lot of foods with olive oil or canola oil. And so as a result, that's why we're seeing such a, a lopsided sort of ratio in our diets of the 6 to 1. And so since you're probably getting all these omega-6s in foods that you're not even realizing that you're getting them in, that's why it's really important to focus on the omega-3s. Now I do have a question about, um, you know, even the use of, of the good oils. Um, I have heard that when you use olive oil uh, in its raw state, such as, you know, in a salad dressing, maybe mixed with, um, you know, whether it's vinegars or, or lemon juice, that that's much better for you than than when it's heated. So you know, such as even lightly sautéing something. Um, what what's the truth behind that? It's funny you should mention that. Actually, in our in the book, I talk about this. Um, it's something called a smoke point, and and when you cook, different oils um, are resistant to different temperatures, or start to basically, in essence, start to change at a certain temperature. Their chemical structure will start to change. And so that's what the smoke point is. When some when your oil in your pan starts to smoke and you start to see the smoke, that means that you're kind of heating it past the point you should. Olive oil is a very fragile oil, and that's why they kind of recommend it more to um, very low heat baking or sauteing, but most often to salads. Um, for your higher heats, canola oil is a decent source, which is, again, high in the um, you know, monounsaturated fats. And avocado, believe it or not, avocado oil is also really good for, like, frying and so forth. The reason you know, a lot of the foods that we eat that are fried are high in um, omega-6s is, is because they usually will use soybean or soy oil. And so that's kind of why... Um, it, they're used because they're so resistant to heat. So the, you're absolutely right. It's called a smoke point, and the reason you should care is that at that smoke point, the chemical structure um, of the oil starts to change. It's basically oxidizing. And as you probably know, oxidizing is not good in your food. It's like when Got you it. see the charcoal on your beef or something, that, <laughs> even though it tastes good, <laughs> it's really not good for you. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> I know. All these yummy things. Well, I do love olive oil, so that that's a good thing. Well, let's move on to number five, which is actually my favorite, because this is the one that I have found makes so much of a difference for me, and that's eat small, often, and mindfully. Yes. Um, I think that this is the hardest one. Um, I think that I think that people can get one through four. They get it. But then number five starts to, instead of be physical knowledge, it starts to be mental knowledge. And you really have to focus on understanding how um, much you really need to eat, how much you want to eat, and why. And so what we're recommending here is we want people to really just be aware of how they're really feeling. Are they really hungry or do they think they're hungry? Are they eating because they're their body needs the fuel, <clears throat> or are they eating because their mind needs something to distract them from whatever it is that is either on their mind or upsetting them, or you know, is it a, an emotional response? And so that's one thing. The second thing is, too, portion sizes have gotten, as we all know, out of control um, in America. And so as a result, being mindful of when you're really full. So once you realize that you're eating because you really need the food and you're needing the fuel, you then need to sort of focus on, okay, well, how much food is going to be enough? And that gets into um, understanding that portion sizes aren't as big as I think we think they are. For instance, a protein portion size for a typical woman would probably be three to four ounces. For a male, it'd probably be four to five ounces. And that is really about a deck of cards, which is not, it doesn't really look like a lot when it's lying on your right. plate. The interesting thing is that when you look 20 to 30 years ago, our plate sizes were dramatically different. If you went to, I don't know if Crate and Barrel was around 30 years ago, but if you went no. to a then Crate and Barrel, <laughs> your plate size offerings would be, have been probably about 10 inches. Today, mm plates are about 12 inches. And so that's two inches more in, in diameter that you're trying to fill up with food because if your plate doesn't have food filling it up, it doesn't look like you're eating much. 
Um, so it's just being aware of these things, understanding that your body really when it's getting when it's full it's getting full for a reason um, and you don't need as much food to satisfy it as you may think. Now the third thing is the often part. I really subscribe to eating as often as you want <laughs> and when you eat often, obviously that means if you're typically a three-meal person, you're eating a lot more at those three meals than you would at a, a you know, five- or six-time-a-day kind of person. Um, each time you add in a meal or a snack, you have to reduce, obviously, the intake of your, your consumption across the other meals. Um, but the idea behind it, I think, really works for a lot of people. One, it doesn't give you enough time, okay, if you eat every two to three hours, it doesn't give you enough time to be so hungry that you sit down at a meal and overeat. It doesn't give you enough time to get to the table starving in a restaurant and eating a whole bread basket. It doesn't give you the time to really wish that you could have a 10-ounce steak instead of a 4-ounce steak. Right. So you're not going to be as hungry because you just ate two to three hours. So your body doesn't get so overly hungry that you overeat. Um, but also the other thing is that I had mentioned earlier is that when you're digesting food, you're burning more calories. So if you're eating more often, right, and you're eating all the things that we just talked about, fat and protein and fiber, you're going to be digesting your food for a lot longer in between your meals, so you're burning more calories throughout the day. So those are the two major, major reasons I believe in it. Um, it. It also, because of that last piece of burning more calories, your metabolism is boosted when you eat more often. Right, right. Well, and, and I women, think this is the one that takes, it takes more planning, um, you know, than than regular meals. Sure. And, but once you've got it down, uh, I'm very fortunate. I, I do work at home, but I've got uh, an upstairs loft um, where, where my office is, and I happen to have a little refrigerator here. And if I would just get organized and, and you know, buy the right things, chop them up downstairs and bring them up here so that it's easy, you know, because that, that is the big thing for me. You talked about time being a huge factor. You know, time and, and ease for me is it. And anytime there's any program that makes you count anything, I am really, really bad at those. But if I just portion control things ahead of time, I'm fine. Yeah, I mean, the planning thing is really key. Um, you know, I talked to, I, I traveled for business a lot. And people, I, my specialty, I think, is how to stay healthy when you're on the road. So I, I would imagine a lot of your um, fans and members are probably these people. And oh, the challenge absolutely. is, obviously, you're on the road, you're eating out, you're at client meetings, you're not really able to schedule in all the meals that you want and frankly when you're on a client site you're most likely not going to have what you want to eat at your disposal and so the thing is is if you know i mean for me i would go away and i would pack certain things that i knew that i could have when i was hungry i tell you that's um, like, the book to write brett that's the I, book to write <laughs> Believe it or not, that was the original idea, and literary agents did not really pick up on it. Don't oh, ask why. Wow. It's not gone for good, though. We'll hopefully get there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, packing packing food sounds crazy, but there's nothing wrong with packing um, a sandwich bag of almonds. I mean, right. it's not that heavy. It's not taking up a lot of space. But when you need a snack, almonds are one of the best, best, um, you know, kind of snacks and you can grab usually a piece of fruit a piece of fresh fruit almost anywhere you are in the airport or wherever the other thing is um i believe a lot in protein shakes i mean i used to travel a lot when i would Mm -hmm. go to starbucks in the morning for breakfast i really didn't necessarily want what they were offering for food so i would have i would pack some protein in a baggie you know i'd get a, a little thing of skim milk and i'd make my little shake and i'd get you know, something to sort of add some fiber with that, whether it be a fresh piece of fruit or whatever. And so I was starting my day off right. I think that's really key for people. If you start your day off right, you're going to continue to have a 
like on the right track day. If you mm-hmm. start your day off wrong, like you don't eat breakfast and you're really hungry by lunch, you eat the wrong thing. Or if you don't start your day off right and you eat something really crappy, by the time you get to lunch, either you're going to feel bad or you're going to say, you know what, I was really crappy already. Why? Why? I'm not going to get the salad. I'm going to get the cheeseburger and fries. Right, I already right. did myself in. So the planning when you travel is just so important. And it applies to when you're not traveling, too. If you know, like, you're going to be running errands all day, if you're a mom and you have five kids and you're running them all over the place, take a bag of almonds, take an apple, take a banana, bring them in the car. There's, you know, right. they're easy, easy on-the-go snacks that you can, you know, take with you. Yeah, I totally agree, and and I'm a I'm a big protein hound too, and I do love protein shakes. And you know, we live in Florida where it, it is uh, so hot and humid right now, and so having something cool is is really really nice. So I just I've got a great blender. Uh, you know, I've got my vanilla protein shake that I can either throw in blueberries. Uh, a, a good friend of mine taught me that you know you can throw in a little bit of oatmeal uh, into the protein yes. shake, and that gives you oh, great yeah. fiber. Uh, and yep. it, it tastes really good, and uh, you know I it just vary. Yeah, and I just vary the different kinds of fruits so that I don't get bored. Or, or you know, sometimes I'll do a, a mocha one with just throwing in a little bit of instant coffee. And mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's just amazing the variety that you can get out of that. And again, you know, I throw in crushed ice, and you know, end up having this thick, you know, kind of malt smoothie, <laughs> even though it doesn't yeah. have any milk in it, because uh, I, I try to limit my dairy because dairy yeah. and I aren't aren't good friends. Well, let's quickly go through the Get Real Toolkit, which is the second half of the book, and we've got about 15 minutes left, so okay. I think that gives us a good amount of time to talk about these. Now, you you talked about the sizes uh, of plates, and, and this next uh, toolkit is called the Plate and Beyond, and one of the things <laughs> I've adopted, and I'm hoping it's one of the things that you recommend, is we actually do use a smaller plate at our house. I bought these really great square plates. They're kind of Japanese-looking, and, and they're about seven inches, actually. And so if I fill it, you know, it, it's not nearly the amount of food I used to eat on a 10-inch plate or a 12-inch plate, as you had, had mentioned. Uh, but, you know, it kind of gives me permission if I do want to go back and get seconds, you know, I'll go back and get seconds of salad or vegetables. So tell me what the Plate and Beyond is about. Yeah, um, well, First of all, I, I love that you do all that you do in your smoothie. I just have to say that. And in the book, we have a few recipes for smoothies. But anyway, um, the Plate and Beyond, you know, gets to a little of what you're saying. This book is about nutrition, but there are other things you really need to be mindful about beyond just what you're eating. Um, obviously, there are things that you can still do about eating, like we talk about, um, you know, just trying to be mindful about eating in more, um, simplifying, so it's not, if you make things too complex, it's going to discourage you from, you know, doing what you should be doing. But the beyond portion, because it's kind of broken up into two pieces, is, you know, exercising, making sure you're drinking your water, doing the things that really don't necessarily talk about food, but are also key to, you know, maintaining maintaining your health. So sleeping, um, managing your stress, and so forth. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, great. Yeah. And then, uh, so the next one is practice makes perfect. Yes, and this is where I had talked earlier about portion sizes. You know, for me, the first five, the, the first piece of the book is really great because it sort of gives people the foundation of information that they need to know to really um, eat healthy. But the toolkit is what's going to help them make, help make them do it because a lot of people will read all that information and it gets to a point where they know it, but they just can't implement it. And so that's what the whole second portion is about. The practice makes perfect gets specifically into portion sizes, um, grocery lists. So when you go to the grocery store, you have a whole host of things that you can buy that will be healthy for you. Um, portion sizes, so like what is really a good portion size, um, plus a visual portion um, sort of guide where you can say, okay, I want a cup of vegetables, but I don't have a measuring cup. What, is, what would right. that look like? And we give you something that you know that you can look at or you, you may be very comfortable sort of understanding what it would look like um, to reference. So, for instance, a cup is sort of the size of your fist. Um, and let's say a potato, one 
typical portion size of potatoes, the size of, let's say, a computer mouse. So we give you guides so that you're not, like, kind of sitting there trying to guess what how much chicken you should be having. Um, um, really we also great. provide – sorry? No, I was just saying that's really great. Yeah. I'm, I'm very visual. Just, yeah, visuals I think are really helpful, you know. Um, and then the last portion of that uh, piece of the toolkit is the perfect recipe, which is really getting to what you can use to substitute for unhealthy ingredients. So, for instance, in, in cook, well, we talk about cooking and baking and condiments as well. So for cooking, if you want to use butter or the recipe calls for butter, we'll give you potentially something like half a cup of, you know, vegetable broth, or believe it or not, you can even use vinegar. Um, and then in baking, the same thing. So, like, for butter, for baking, you can use applesauce. Right. And then in condiments, it goes on and on. So mm-hmm. it's kind of helping people, if they have a recipe they love at home, that they love to cook, but they know that there are certain ingredients that aren't so great, we give them an ingredient that they can substitute for it. Great. And then you have uh, two, two other uh, tips in the toolkit, uh, one about preferred brands. Yes, preferred brands are really just a, it's a quick list of brands that if you're going to buy the packaged foods and the processed foods, which ones tend to use the best quality ingredients? Because, you know, they're, you're not always going to be able to cook. Um, you might want sort of a frozen dinner. And there are brands out there that really try to adhere to a whole food, you know, philosophy and use really good quality ingredients. So I give you sort of a bunch of different brands that you can sort of trust to sort of be the most healthy of all varieties. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's right. at least a start. <laughs> and then another one that's near and dear to my heart is, well, actually the last one since you also jump, uh, already jumped ahead to recipes, is it's all in the label. And I have to tell you, I've got a 12-year-old daughter, and she is like the queen of label reading. Now, I, I've got her that far. Unfortunately, she's also the queen of the carbohydrates. And, you know, she will eat pasta and bread and rice and potatoes every meal, you know, to the exclusion of anything else if I let her. (laughs) But she's just heading into that age where she's going to have to start caring about what she puts into her mouth, uh, you know, for reasons other than just health. (laughs) Right, right. Well, it's great that she's already reading the labels because she's got a head start, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's a great start. Um, if she reads the book, <laughs> she'll see that when she's looking at her labels, um, there are certain things, if she's really into, into carbohydrates, she'll get a sense for how many carbohydrates she should really be having. We, talk, we go through every portion of the label and really dissect it so that if somebody goes to the grocery store and, and sees a product that they're interested in, they can make an educated decision if it's something that's healthy without understanding anything about the brand. Um, we talk about the types of ingredients they should be looking mm-hmm. for. We talk about what each portion of the nutrition facts label, um, what they all mean. And then it, we also give them... I mean, it gets technical because it's important to sort of understand the math behind of why we are giving you certain information, but we sum it up where we give you an easy, easy guide to say when you're going shopping and you look at a a label, you should always look to have somewhere between 10 to 15 grams per 100 calories of carbohydrates or less than one gram per 100 calories of saturated fat. So that when you're looking at a label, even if it says 410, you know, calories for the serving, if you look, if you know the guide, every 100 calories you should be having, blah blah blah, you'll know if it's something, you know, that's going to be healthy for you. Right, right. Well, that is a lot of information packed into the book, but I can't wait to start digging into it because although, you know, I I do know a lot of these principles, sometimes it is just really a good idea to go back and and, uh, refer to them and to have a a book that kind of makes it all hang together. And I'm going to uh, go out on a limb and and see if my my, uh, walking buddy, Michelle, has any questions. So I'm just going to bring her live on on the air (laughs) michelle good afternoon are you there she may have us on hold Uh, the one thing while we're waiting for michelle is um the one thing i do want to mention because i you um 
we briefed over it. In the recipes section, um, all of what I teach you in the book comes to light where I give you the whole nutritional breakdown of every recipe. So you know how many calories it has, you know Mm -hmm. how much fiber it has, the whole nine yards. And there are 40 of them, and I talk about everything from snacks to desserts to breakfast to lunch and dinner. And so it's not just a recipe section. It's also also an educational tool as well. Got it. Got it. Well, the other question I have um, actually has to do with with breads, and you know we talked a little bit uh, about carbs in general because uh, you know again I've got a, a daughter who is just a carb hound. Um, I have a question about um, whether the the yeast in breads uh, is actually the same yeast that many women battle uh, in their health. Uh, is there a correlation between the consumption of of yeast laden products and and uh, the overactive uh, role that yeast plays uh, in a woman's life? Well, you know, it's a it's a good question. Uh, believe it or not, <laughs> the yeast that um, I don't really I'm not a doctor, and so I don't really want to say that I know the the specific answer, but what really tends to be the problem for women isn't really the food as so much um, the kind of underwear you use, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, the kind of air you get exposure-wise down in our, you know, sensitive areas, and believe it or not, you know, bathing. Um, I don't really think that bread is the problem. I think it's more uh, an issue of the fact that yeast is growing, unfortunately, too much. Now, people who suffer from, um, I do know that when people somehow, their their yeast in their system gets out of whack, they have to go through a huge detox of yeast. But that's not because, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah, go on. No, I was just going to say, because I think I had also read that there is some correlation between that yeast imbalance and also cancers. Um, and, you know, if you take a look back at, at, you know, what I think is, you know, kind of the food guide of all food guides, which is actually the Old Testament, which lays out, you know, all of the things that are really good for us and all the things that are really not good for us. You know, yeast was one of those things that generally was talked about negatively uh, in the Bible because, you know, it, it would it would spread and grow so much. You know, I mean, just the very nature of, of just a tiny little lump of yeast, you know, uh, can can leaven an entire uh, loaf of, a uh, very large loaf of bread. And, and, you know, I think back to if you take a look at those cultures that still are very, very true to the, um, you know, to the eating principles, so, you know, such as the, the Jewish um, uh, culture and religion of, of taking a look at unleavened breads and, and just keeping the amount of, of yeast in our lives, you know, fairly low. And I, I was just curious about that because, again, this is something my daughter battles. And, and at age 12, you know, I, I don't remember ever having to deal with it quite that young. Um, and so I just wondered if it had anything to do with this massive consumption of yeast that she has in her life because she loves bread more than life itself. Well, I mean, I again, I'm not a doctor. I would uh-huh. say that what I understand is that yeast – Eating foods that contain yeast, such as bread or beer, um, is not is not necessarily going to be the cause. Mm-hmm. It may exacerbate a problem that exists, um, and so that's why a lot of times um, doctors will say eliminate yeast from your diet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another uh, one way to battle it. A lot of people really believe in yogurt um, mm-hmm. and pro and probiotics and that have active um, live cultures because they help sort of balance out the yeast in our systems. Got it. Um, Got it. Well, I'm going to I'm going to definitely recommend that to her because she loves yogurt, but um you know, she's um like I said, she knows she needs to learn more about nutrition. So I am anxious to have her read your book because she she can only listen to mommy so much, but reading it in <laughs> in print from someone else is something that uh I think would be quite useful. Sure. You know, I have to say that um, one thing I will say is that even if you're not trying to lose weight, the book is a great resource because it's not, it, it's really just about how to eat healthy for life. Absolutely. It's not necessarily about how to lose 20 pounds. 
Um, but if you are trying to lose weight, it's still a great resource as well. It's just that it should, people who are listening, if they think that they're in you know, good shape and they don't need to lose weight, it doesn't necessarily preclude um, benefits, you know, having benefit of reading the book. It's really meant for a very diverse, broad audience. Exactly. Well, Brett, it has been just incredibly informative. And uh, for those who would like to be able to get in touch with Brett, her website is www.sheerbalance.com. Is that correct? That's correct, S-H-E-E-R-Balance.com. Great. And for the Executive Girlfriends Group members, uh, Brett's profile will also list how to get in touch with her directly. And uh, our egg uh, members will also be able to listen to the audio recording uh, commercial-free uh, on the egg site, and then the recording will also be available on Blog Talk Radio. So thank you so much, Brett, and take care and have a great day. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye.